0: Welcome to this special episode of Simply Disciples, a discipleship podcast designed to help Deer Creek Church think and act faithfully in a changing world. In this episode, Tim and Daniel discuss how the church should engage in politics. So we hope you enjoy this discussion. Thanks for tuning in.
1: George Will, a well known and well respected political commentator for the Washington Post, wrote an op ed in 2016 about the state of dialogue and discourse in the United States. He said, at the turn of the decade, he saw a fundamental shift in the way Americans talk to one another. Before 2010, he said it was possible and even encouraged to talk with one another openly about areas of disagreement. It helped people mutually understand one another and gain perspective on issues they had not considered before. However, after 2010, a shift occurred. He says, we lost a fundamental distinction in our discussions. Post-2010, we lost the distinction between, I disagree with you and I hate you. In other words, we lost the ability to disagree with others and not hate them in the process, we lost the ability to remain friends with people who held different views on issues that are vital to human life. Maybe the most obvious area of American life where we lost this distinction is in the area of politics. Every four years, we as Americans are drawn into political battles between right and left, liberal and conservative, this candidate or that candidate. And increasingly, every four years, We see relationships broken, families splintered, and churches divided, all because we have lost the distinction between I disagree with you and I hate you. On this special edition of Simply Disciples, we are asking the question, how should we as Christians engage in politics? Or more specifically, how should the church engage in politics? And I'm joined here with uh, Daniel Nealon, the senior pastor of Deer Creek Church. My name is Tim Rinquist and I serve here as the executive pastor. And uh, Daniel, just to maybe get us started, why would we talk about this topic now, even though we're a ways away from the election uh, happening?
0: Yeah, well, it's actually very intentional, actually. It, it The reason that we're talking about it now, in this episode specifically, is because It's not the political season quite yet. You mentioned George Will, and like you said in the introduction, Tim, George Will said, we lost the distinction between I disagree with you and I hate you. But what we've also lost, or at least what's become very difficult, is the ability to listen to opposing political views or to speak about contentious topics once the political season has kind of heated up. Absolutely. So once we get within nine months of a presidential election, we find it very hard to discuss Christianity and politics politics without making assumptions of others. You know, you experience this when you're teaching. Uh, somebody will say, well, he said this, therefore he must be a liberal, or he preached on that, he must be a conservative. And once we get within nine months of an election, it seems almost uh, impossible, if not difficult for us to avoid uh, shifting to that kind of mode of listening to others. And I noticed this in myself. I love politics. I was actually a delegate to a party convention in 2008, the year I was uh, first able to vote. Uh, Actually, I think it was before that. I think I was first able to vote in two, well, regardless. Anyway, uh, I volunteered in two political campaigns in the past. I studied political science as an undergrad. I was vice president of our college's I'm not, I'm not going to tell you what party, <laughs> Yeah, um, and I'm a registered voter today, and, and I've noticed this in myself, uh, kind of a shift in the way I listen to people around political topics, especially around election season. I, I hear someone I disagree with on one issue, and then I start making all sorts of assumptions about a number of other issues that I think hey, they must believe this then. So I noticed this myself.
1: Yeah, and um, I, I don't have that same list of credentials with political parties. <laughs> I've never been a delegate. Um, I actually don't particularly have a huge interest myself in politics, uh-huh. um, but I have been on staff here at Deer Creek Church since 2012, I actually came on staff in 2012 right before the election. And so this is the fourth election cycle that I'm experiencing as a staff member here, and um, and I have just again and again seen everyone's shit, everyone's gaze, you know, metaphorically, and, and everyone's hearts get wrapped up in these political issues. And it feels like even within the church, there's about a year period of time where everyone kind of loses their mind yeah. and is reacting to all of these different things around them. And we're, we're not even able to bring perspective or clarity or anything that the Bible says to that because everything's being heard. Or, or seen through the lens of politics. Yeah, and so you could say the same thing uh, one year outside of the election cycle. Yeah, that if you said the same thing in it, people would make certain assumptions. Make say you're grinding an axe, and yeah. So I think it's really important to have these conversations when, when the fire is low.
0: Yeah, December twenty twenty three. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep.
1: exactly, exactly. So, well, let's dive into this a bit deeper and and ask a very broad question, Daniel. Um, does God care about politics?
0: Yeah, good question. I, I'd give two answers. The short answer, answer number one, is yes, he does. Long answer, a little bit more long-winded, is answer two, and it's this. God, God's king over every single part of creation. He rules over the whole world. You see this throughout scripture. Daniel 4, verse 25 reads, The Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. So God is involved in the affairs of politics, the issues, the kingdoms of humanity. Romans 13 is a specific instruction for Christians about how to relate to governing authorities. It's actually really fascinating what Paul writes. He says, there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So your school board member, the governor, the mayor, the president, your representative— All of them have been given power and authority and have been instituted by God. He goes on to say, therefore, whoever resists these authorities resists what God has appointed. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. So do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he, talking now about rulers and authorities, are God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. So God's in control of human affairs. He's involved in politics. Every political ruler and authority... Has his or her position because God appointed him. So God rules as King over all creation, all kingdoms. So He cares. But here's the most important point: God rules over creation or the world in a different way that He rules over His church. He has a different way of ruling over the world than He does His special people, of the church. God has two different ways of ruling in the world. In the world. You call that the kingdom of creation. God rules by his providence and by natural law, and by natural law. In providence, a topic we discussed earlier uh, in this uh, earlier edition of Simply Disciples, in his providence, he appoints rulers, and these rulers are expected to rule with justice. Paul said, remember, they bear the sword, which means, you know, they have the right to punish. He sometimes establishes Christian rulers and leaders, other times he doesn't. And then he rules through natural law. In Romans chapter 2, it's very clear that God writes his law on every human heart. Every human being, whether you're secular or Christian, religious or unreligious, every person has God's law written on their heart. And through the kingdom of creation, God rules through that sense of natural law written on our heart. And the purpose of this kingdom of creation is that we would have some measure of earthly peace and justice and well-being. That's how God rules over the world. Long-winded there, I understand, but that sets up for this difference because in the church, God rules differently. In the church, God rules by his grace. He raises up elders and pastors, not civil authorities. He raises up elders, pastors, and deacons to oversee his church. He rules over his people by his word, not just through natural law. All of scripture governs us in the church, and he calls on leaders of the church to shepherd his people by his word and spirit. And the purpose of the church is to grow his people in grace, conforming them to the image of Jesus. So yes, God cares about politics. He's king over everything. But we have to remember there are two kingdoms, kingdom of creation, ruled by natural law, kingdom of the church, ruled by God's word and his spirit through the ministry of elders, deacons, and pastors.
1: And, and I, th- I think that's really helpful because um, if we combine those two— That's where tr- problems begin. We —we get into right. a lot of trouble because then we start mm-hmm. to say a particular country yep. is the kingdom of God. That's right. Or picture- particular country is God's country. Yep. And we start to blend those two kingdoms together yep. into one, and you can see how that would play out. Imagine how that plays out uh, on a, in a political season. Yeah. One that's candidate right. is God's candidate, and the other isn't. Oh yeah, um, and depending
0: on who you ask, they'll say that their candidate is the one that God we have God's picked. Yep.
1: People uh, saying they're prophets, and and the opposite mm-hmm. uh, ones are going to win. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay, so that's probably a new concept for most of us. Yep. So can you share why this idea is important? Why is it important to recognize there are two kingdoms, or that God rules over the world in one way, not a lesser way, but in a different way. Yep. One way, and and He rules over the church in another.
0: Yeah, and it is. It's very important. You, you mentioned one part. When you blend the two and you confuse the two, that leads to a whole number of issues. But first, I'll answer it this way. It really helps us understand how we're to engage in politics. If you're a Christian, then what that means is you're a citizen of both of these kingdoms. You're a citizen of the kingdom of creation and the kingdom of grace, the church. And as a citizen of the kingdom of creation, the Bible lays out specifics of how we're supposed to conduct ourselves in the world. We already mentioned Romans 13, right? It's explicit. We're to submit to the governing authorities. You know, we may not like a particular tax policy. We may not agree with a specific educational philosophy carried out in public schools. We may not be in full agreement about this or that war that we're engaged in. But insofar as we are not called to sin by our governing authorities, we are to submit or governing authorities,
1: and, and I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, this uh, when it comes to submission, we are called to submit in cases where we are not forced to sin. So mm-hmm. this is not just a blanket statement. Uh, so if a leader says kill that person, and God says do not kill, yeah, well then you listen to God rather than the the governing authority. We say sorry, can't can't do that. It's against mm-hmm. the law of God. Or if the president were to say no worship on Sundays everything has to close, or you must bow down to and worship this idol, we mm-hmm. would have to say, no, we, can't, we can't do that. Do that. Um, even if there are harsh penalties for that, even if that leads to death, we are going to follow God and not you, because they, they are telling you to sin, and God is a higher authority, and you're going to go with that.
0: Yeah, and I think the problem becomes when we begin to think every political issue is an ultimate issue, And they deal with issues of sin and righteousness. We have to realize there are, actually, I would say a vast majority of political issues are in just the realm of wisdom that we can disagree in, that we apply natural law to differently. So, you know, some of us might say the tax rate should be X, others should say it should be Y, but that's not a question of right and wrong, good and evil, or we might say, you know, this political philosophy is wrong. Or if you're a Christian, you must vote for this thing or that thing. Otherwise, you're not being faithful. I'd say, like you said, unless it involves sin, we're called to cement. And a good example would be would, would be
1: masks. Come on. Now. I hate Preach. to bring that back Preach. up. Preach,
0: <laughs> masks, were they inconvenient? Yes. Were they irritating? Yes. Were they inconsistently applied in certain areas and in certain situations? Probably but as irritating and inconvenient and as inconsistent as mask wearing was, it wasn't sinful to wear a mask. God was not calling us to violate his law in some way by wearing a mask. So as citizens of creation, we're called to submit. After all, like Paul said, if we resist the authorities, we resist what God's appointed.
1: So something, if if you talk about an issue like that, some something that we heard often during that season mm-hmm. was people appealing to the rights. Mm-hmm. The rights that they have— um, within the Constitution, let's say. Yep, yep. So um, they, they believe that, you know, our governing authorities are violating the Constitution, so, so we shouldn't listen to them. Um, but I think what's interesting about that is God wasn't the author of the Constitution. Yeah, and right. so our constitution, constitutional rights, if you want to make that argument, are not our biblical rights or mm-hmm. commands, um, or God's law. So we should appreciate the rights that we have and thank God that we live in a place where we do have certain rights that are valued, but, but those rights are not found in scripture. Nowhere in scripture, um, are we told that we have the freedom of speech? Yeah. Actually, we're, we're called to bridle our tongue. Yeah. And our tongue is capable of great evil. And so there are things that we should not say. Um, even though we're given the right of of the freedom of speech. Constitutional, um, yeah. We have the right to tell the truth in love rather than just say whatever we want. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I cut you off there. So back to what you were saying before about being a citizen of the kingdom of creation.
0: No, and that was fantastic. I mean, the idea of rights, you know, it does, it gets tricky. I love the Constitution. I love that we have certain rights, but yeah, they're not guaranteed. God has not said, hey, right rule looks like the Constitution of the United States. I just, it's never laid out like that. But what? So what I was saying is, hey, it's very specific how we're to engage in the world. Submit to the governing authorities. It actually goes further in the New Testament. Paul actually says we're to pray for elected officials who rule over us. That's 1 Timothy chapter 2. And remember, he's writing these things. Paul's writing this to Timothy, who was in Ephesus, which was in the Roman Empire, and he's writing the letter to the Romans to the church in Rome, over which Emperor was Nero. He was actively persecuting Christians. And nonetheless, he says, guys, you may not like the political situation there, nevertheless. Pray for your governing authorities. So that's the second thing. Lastly, very specific command we get in Scripture is we're called to seek welfare, the well-being, and advocate for natural law. Remember Romans 2, laws written on our hearts. So what that means is we can work with people of different types of people who who believe in different things insofar as they want to rule in that way as well. And and we realize sometimes Christians of good character can disagree on political issues, and that's okay. But we will disagree— on what will result in the most well-being of society or what's the most uh, just thing to do, and that's okay.
1: Okay, so I can imagine people, I can think of even people within our own con- congregation, they may be asking, well, what about the issues that are directly opposed to what Scripture does teach? Mm-hmm how are we supposed to approach those issues, issues like abortion or gender transition surgeries or same-sex marriage? How are we supposed to engage in issues like that? Are we just supposed to be passive?
0: Well, that's those are great questions. And no, we're not supposed to be passive in those things. When there is sin that destroys, Christians are called to speak truth to those issues and and reason around those issues. And in love— Seek to convince our neighbors about how those things are damaging and not good for society. But this is the key principle. And if you don't take anything away from this, this, uh, this podcast, I, I want us to take this away. The kingdom of God does not ava- advance by how we legislate or by implementing laws. What I mean by that is we can actually construct a society and legislate a country, the USA, have this country where we abolish abortion, outlaw gender transition surgery, ban teachings of gender ideology from our schools, outlaw same-sex marriage, and the kingdom of God does not advance one inch. Because the kingdom of God does not advance through implementing laws that everyone has to abide by, even if those laws are good and right and just and true. The only way and I, I say that emphatically, only, the only way the kingdom of God advances is through the preaching of the gospel, through sinners repenting of their sin, and trusting in Jesus for salvation. That's the way sinners enter the kingdom of God. It's the way the people are made citizens of the kingdom of God. It's the way God's kingdom advances through the world. When churches grow in grace, the gospel's faithfully taught, sinners turn to Jesus, wayward Christians are brought back, when prayers are offered to God, the kingdom of God advances. It doesn't advance through political laws or legislation.
1: And and you can see how th- that uh, gets confusing if you put the two kingdoms together. <coughs> exactly. And say there's just one, and, and we actually mm-hmm. see this in the book of Acts. It's, yep. it's very interesting. So uh, the disciples um, thought after Jesus resurrected that he was going to do something highly political. Yep. So political Jesus is Jesus is, re- is resurrected in front of them. Standing in front of them and what they turn to is a political solution. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. They say in, in Acts 1, 6, are you now going to restore the kingdom of Israel?
0: Mm-hmm. So where, where David was king and he was powerful and it advanced through the sword and political legislation and
1: yep. And Jesus says, he rebukes them and says, you're focusing on the wrong things. Yeah. You're, you're missing the point. You're looking for these earthly political outcomes mm-hmm. and not realizing that you're citizens of another kingdom. My kingdom is not going to advance by a political juggernaut. Um, it will come when you go and tell people about me, when you teach them, when you call them to repentance, and when you tell them to turn to me, to Jesus— And seek grace in me.
0: Yeah, it's remarkable. In Acts, it's remarkable what their focus is on.
1: Because there's rampant
0: injustice. We're talking about the Roman Empire here. There's political and religious persecution. Even though there's immorality, crime, even though Christians are being mistreated, even though the Roman Empire is filled with social and political corruption, the apostles throughout Acts say next to nothing about any of it. They seem to be utterly unconcerned about politics or power or cultural influence. Even as they're opposed and persecuted, they're maligned and their focus is not on how they can usher in the kingdom of God through social change or, you know, how to bring prayer to public schools or focus on creation or environmental justice or how they can transform Rome into the likeness of God. And the reason that's not their focus is because as good as those things are, and they are, those are good things, that's not the way God's kingdom grows. It grows when people teach, hear, believe the gospel, and hearts are changed. It's
1: the only way. So, some would say, and, and you hear a lot today, that the role of Christians or the church is to transform culture, mm-hmm. to renew politics. We're supposed to make culture and politics more like the kingdom of God on earth. And and that, people would say, that is our role. How would you respond to that? Because it sounds like you're saying that it, that really isn't our role. Yeah. <laughs> How would you respond to that? Yeah,
0: I'd say, and that isn't our role. It's a good impulse, I want to affirm that, because we want to be passionate about the things of God, and we want to integrate our faith into our cultural works, but the reality is those impulses lack any biblical backing. There's just no biblical backing for this. Nowhere in the Bible are we called to transform culture or renew politics. Paul never speaks in the letter to Romans or Ephesians or Philippians or Colossians or Galatians about transform Colossae more into the likeness of the kingdom of God. In fact, if you scan kingdom of God in the New Testament, it never calls us to build the kingdom, advance the kingdom, usher in the kingdom, transform our culture more into the likeness of God's kingdom, or co-labor with God to bring his kingdom. Instead, every time the kingdom is mentioned, it's inherit, receive, believe in, enter in, it's because the success of the kingdom of God is so different from the kingdoms of the world. The the success of worldly kingdoms and cultures and civilizations, they do depend on politics, the leadership, the platforms, the contributions of its people. But in God's kingdom, when it grows, it's when people teach, hear, believe the gospel, and their hearts are changed. And here's the main point. This is a a quote from Kevin DeYoung, who's a pastor uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina. He says, at the end of the day, there's something greater than human flourishing and earthly justice. The aim and goal of the kingdom of creation is good. We should pursue flourishing and justice, but there is something far better, and it's the kingdom of God and his righteousness through faith in Christ. And on the flip side of that, he says, there is something way worse than death and poverty and political corruption, and that is the eternal welfare of people's souls. The kingdom of God is about eternal life in God's kingdom. And that's what we want to be about every week, week in and week out. Not about the political affairs of today.
1: So, uh, so let's get let's get practical in a way um, because we are pastors in a local church, and we experience kind of all of these things on the ground level. Um, we get asked sometimes, "Can you pass out voter guides, mm-hmm. or will the church host a voter rally?" Um, there was a time where a big um, voter uh, registration bus drove yeah. up outside of the church in the middle of a service, wow. and yeah. I had to uh, chase them off. Um, can <laughs> Hopefully we bring, nicely. Can we, <laughs> yes. Um, in Jesus' name, please get out of here. <laughs> yeah. uh, can we bring, uh, people will ask, can we bring a petition to the church and have people sign it? And we always say, no. Why is that?
0: Well, again, I want to affirm the good impulse in the sense that politics, God cares about politics. They're good. Um, So admire the heart there. Uh, Again, I share some of that heart. But really, the reason we say no is for the same reason we've been discussing. The kingdom of God advances through the church, in the ministry of the word, in scripture, not through legislation. Now, here's the caveat. That doesn't mean that we're silent on political issues. Uh, just because we do not allow voter guides about who will vote which way on abortion doesn't mean we'll never talk about abortion. In fact, when the Bible mentions murder, there's a very good, if not a almost certain likelihood that we're going to mention abortion Yep, because it's murder
1: graciously, pastorally, mm-hmm. pointing people to the grace of God. That's Absolutely. right.
0: Yep. When the image of God is mentioned in the Bible, you can almost guarantee that we're going to speak about gender because God has made us male and female in his own image. And to deviate from that created order is damaging to human beings and devaluing of the body that God gave us. And the reality is when we mention in that way, through the ministry of scripture, calling people to repentance and faith and trust in the grace of Jesus— then what happens is those people are actually transformed in their heart and turned back to Jesus and they enter the kingdom of God in that way. So we will speak on those issues. The scripture speaks on those issues, but what we won't say is, Hey, you must vote for this person who supports policy A, or you must vote this way on legislation B, or you have to march in this rally, even if it's for a a good cause. So, so if you ask
1: any of those things, you, you already got the answer, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Would love to have the conversation yeah. still. And but... if a
1: bus pulls up, I will, I will chase it away again. <laughs> Very gracious. Well, well, that's all the time we have uh, for this edition of Simply Disciples. Thank you for joining us. We're taking a break from Simply Disciples over the Christmas season, but be sure to join us again when we release another season in January.